Around the world and across the shards, this is The Cavern Today, brought to you by the Cavern Communications Network and Until Uru Fan Presentation. For more information about our program, please visit our website at www.thecaverntoday.com. Our format, an information, entertainment, and variety hour, is distributed monthly through iTunes and iPodder. Available for download on the website and streamed through TeamSpeak. It is made audio by a group of nearly 30 international broadcasters who work collectively to bring you the best music, interviews, and special features the web has to offer. And now to our program with hosts Tayon, Verloon, and Zane. Calling into Dr. Bora. You've got the wrong number, lady. This is the I cab- do not. I'm a rebuilt and digitized phone bot. No analog left in here. I never dial the wrong number. Now see here, Dr. Bora. This is my problem. I'm trying to be polite, ma'am. It's been very stressful for me here in the office since Mrs. O took that cruise. Mr. Crocs doesn't come in much. He is working from home, I guess. Who is this? You are so insightful, Dr. Bora. How did you know about Mr. Crocs? See, that is just what I mean. You radiotherapists are not given your full due. There is so much that can be accomplished by phone these days. So if you don't mind, I need your help. Don't hang up on me either. I have my own ways of getting through to you. My cousin is a phone droid. He works for a telemarketing company his whole career, based on calling again and again during the dinner hour. Very successful, my cousin. Yes, well, this is not... Oh, never mind. What's your problem? The problem? The problem is I don't get any respect from these avies. They don't take me seriously. You're a bot. Well, yes, but that does not mean I don't have anything important to say. Maybe so, but most bots don't say much. Hello, goodbye, please hold for that extension. They shut you off in the middle of your sentence and send you into the rotary system of possibilities. Phone bots don't try to join Olympic teams, get mixed up in mysteries, have personal problems, there is something wrong, all right, Are you Java or Visual Basic? Java, living in an XML world. Sounds like a programming issue to me. Yes, and I think my husband, Mr. Millicuddy, is seeing another... I am not about to listen to those issues. Well, then you do admit you're Dr. Bora. I knew it. I just knew it. No, and I don't know which office you're in, Millicuddy. Who could disguise that annoying voice for long? Tyon here, and coming... This is who? But, oh, oh dear, Mr. Tyon, please don't say anything to Mr. Crocs. What are you worried about, you nitwit? He's not going to fire you. After that incident with Mr. Paul, I suppose that he decided to give you a second chance. Melacuddy?
This is the counter day, Steve Cox's voicemail. After the beep, leave. I think the phone bot requires a service call. Please get her fixed at your earliest convenience. Hello? This is Major Podcast Personality uh, on time. Could I speak to Dr. Gore, please? I've got a couple of issues with this bot at work. She, she just drives me crazy. I'm only 18 and I can't handle this kind of stuff. I've got enough responsibilities here as it is, so. Four different shots and on four different days. On the Lost City of Atlantis shot on Saturday, November 26, 2005, at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time or 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and 8 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time. On the Guild of Greeters shot on Saturday, December 3, 2005, at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time or 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and 5 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time. Or on the Loskin chart on Saturday, December 10th, 2005 at 5 a.m. Pacific Standard Time or 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time and 1 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time. And on this Lakers event chart on Saturday, December 17, 2005, at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, or 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and 8 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time. Deck the holes and pass the eggnog. Get your heavy set up and be at the Christmas party hops. You are listening to The Cavern Today from Cavern Communications Network, a UU fan presentation. Now, back to our program. This is Molog with The Cavern Today. It's our distinct honor and pleasure to welcome Ryan Miller to our broadcast. Ryan has been a member of the Cyan team for about 10 years now, and as many of you may know, is the brother of founders Rand and Robin Miller. We'll be speaking to him regarding various topics, but first we'd like to welcome him to our broadcast. Ryan, it's great to have you. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me on today. Um, let me paint a little picture for you. It's 1987, and I'm sitting at my desk, opening a box and copying the contents of four floppy disks to the hard drive, the 20-meg hard drive on my little Macintosh SE. <laughs> I double-click an icon, and I'm confronted with a very simple picture, a manhole, a fire plug in the distance, and not a hint of what I should do next. Uh, so I click on the manhole, it slides aside with a scraping sound, and a beanstalk rises majestically from the hole. 
That was my first experience with a whole new world of gaming, and it was the world's first look at the handiwork of Cyan. Even though you weren't yet with Cyan, you pretty much had a front row seat to the debut of the company. Uh, can you tell us what you remember about those earliest days? Yeah, those were uh, fun days. That was back when the Macintosh was still awe-inspiring because you could actually drag a rectangle and fill it in with a brick texture and mm-hmm. put a roof on and make a house. And uh, It was heady stuff. It was. Uh, so I remember just watching Robin and being awestruck at the stuff that he was creating back in the day. And uh, in HyperCard, which was another amazing program, which provided... HyperCard was fabulous. Oh, it was. So few people today know of HyperCard and what it was and what it could do, and it really, <laughs> I'm surprised it faded into obscurity because it was an incredible tool. I still wish we had it every now and then. We still talk about it at work, yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, for I mean, me, being a junior high or making games, I think even back then with, with Josh Staub of all people and being able mm-hmm. to program them in little click-and-point adventures, I mean, it was an amazing sure. piece of software. The pre-scripted buttons, you know, yep. pre-scripted hotspots and everything. Yep, great stuff. Uh, even as a novice non-programmer, I built a recipe database, fully functional recipe database <laughs> right. for my wife. Yes. And, uh, and it would print out recipe cards that looked professional. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If my Macintosh wasn't down on my workbench right now, we'd still use it regularly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so the original staff at Cyan was pretty small. Uh, if I remember correctly, you joined in 95-ish or so. What were some of your first projects? I officially joined in 95, um, and my official first projects were taking out the garbage and cleaning the bathrooms. <laughs> Started and at the top. That's right. Yeah. Rand and Robin making me earn my way. Um, and then I was also uh, did a lot of work early on with the colorization of Cosmic Osmo, mm-hmm. um, which never actually came out and may be a bad reflection on my management. Uh, <laughs> no. I think there were multiple reasons for that. So we were doing uh-huh. some, some new writing for that and uh, doing mm-hmm. the colorization, which looked great. Still mm-hmm. too bad that never came out. And then I was also handling some tech support early on and just kind uh-huh. of, uh, you know, whatever projects showed up here and there. Yeah. Well, I remember seeing the as a Cosmic Cosmo fan, of course, I remember seeing the um, uh, samples of the, you know, the forthcoming color version of Osmo on Cyan's website at the time. And it was very much in the flavor of Spelunks. The colorization was beautiful, and it, was, it wasn't just clicking, clicking the paint can tool to pour color into, into Robin's uh, Osmo drawings. <laughs> right. It seemed to be a, a real recreation, and it was just gorgeous. Yeah, we had multiple artists who were working on that, some of whom, uh-huh. actually a couple of whom ended up working on Riven later on. So uh-huh. definitely talented <laughs> artists, and they were doing a great job. They cut their teeth on Osmo. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I'll tell my son because he learned to use a computer playing Osmo. Oh, there you go. That's perfect. Now he's in college (laughs) (laughs) writing term papers on a computer. So that's how. It was a long time ago. A long time ago. Well, uh, as I implied before, I was was really hooked from my very first click on that manhole. And each new title from Cosmic Osmo to Spelunx and the later enhanced versions of the manhole Osmo and Spelunx as well. All were evolutions on the previous titles, and they showed that the Cyan team were learning and maturing as they went. Each new game added features, added color, uh, delivered on CD-ROM for the first time with the manhole, etc. Still, though, I don't think any of us expected anything like Myst. It uh, came out of the blue, defined a whole new genre, blew away the fans, blew away the critics, and was a runaway success. 
I know that many of us have uh, seen the Making of Mist movie that was on that CD, but as, as someone um, with a connection to the Mist team, uh, can you tell us something about what it was like for them being at the heart of such a gaming phenomenon? Or did they even see it as a phenomenon at the oh, time? Oh, gosh, no. They didn't, no one saw that as a gaming phenomenon at the time. At the time, it was hopefully going to earn enough money to buy groceries and, and uh-huh. gasoline. Um, I remember Rand, I think the number was 10000 that he was going to be excited if it sold that many. So no one had any clue that it would go on to the success it did. And at the time, I mean, I think Rand has said this in interviews before, you know, uh, Cyan was just trying to, like you said, evolve that manhole, Cosmic Osmo interface to more of an adult experience with, mm-hmm. um, you know, more difficult puzzles and a little more involved story. And technology obviously allowed them to take it into color and do some some high-end graphics and video and all that kind of stuff and they were just kind of following the technology curve and and hoping to uh make enough money to survive and yeah. no clue that it would go on to uh the success it did just no clue nobody was thinking new headquarters building at the time oh right? gosh no far from <laughs> it <laughs> yeah well as a as a fan of osmo for example and stepping from osmo into mist uh i could see a certain kinship because the rocket was still there yes I mean, we uh we flew around Osmo's uh, universe in the Osmobile, and lo and behold, it had a pretty close facsimile on Mist Island. Right. And, and still to this day, I think back to Cosmic Osmo and hear that voice, Hello, alien. <laughs> I think, oh, gosh, that was Rand. Yeah. That was Atris. Yes. So it's, uh, it's kind of funny to think back and just see. The, the handiwork how, of Rand and Robin is evident everywhere, isn't it? Uh, well, I'm afraid it is, yeah. <laughs> I, I must admit that I've got... Uh, in my drawer here someplace a magazine ad from years ago and it's the Richard Abaddon photograph of Rand and Robin oh yeah the Gap advertising ad Docker, <laughs> advertising Docker's pants or something oh that's the yeah, that's the Gap ad isn't it Were they the Gap? Okay, sitting yeah. on the chair it was something like that. yeah that's, on the chair that's just about to bust over backwards yep, yeah uh, that's the Gap yeah. ad yeah that was a fun great one great picture my mom when still Abaddon has that picture, one picture you know you pit it there. that's right yeah. um, well as good as Mist was uh, let's move on to Riven here briefly uh Riven was such an obvious leap ahead that many of us in the Mist community still regard it as the pinnacle of the series. And personally, I was most impressed with how well the puzzles were integrated into the environments and in turn into each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just one huge puzzle. And the visuals were fabulous, too, and the live acting was excellent. Uh, Riven was a brilliantly conceived world, top to bottom. Uh, can you tell us something about what Cyan learned from Mist and how they applied the lessons of Mist to the creation of Riven? And what went on at some of those brainstorming sessions? Um, you know, Riven was is often considered the pinnacle because, in large part, Cyan was kind of at its pinnacle. There, we had a lot of time and a lot of resources to put into Riven, and I think that's part of the reason that, like you mentioned, the graphics are far and away the best we've done, although they were pre-rendered, so it's kind of dealing with sure. a different animal there. Um, oh, yeah. And and the the game design, you know, there was a lot of time spent in in like you said, integrating those puzzles into the world. Um, and looking back, you know, I'm not sure. I think we still made some mistakes here and there with Ribbon that we mm-hmm. maybe didn't do on Mist. And uh, you know, maybe if we talk about Mist Five later, we can kind of address some of those. But um, 
you know, Riven, as integrated as they were, it was extremely difficult, which was great for some fans, not so great for others. And at the same time, uh, required you to solve quite a few puzzles in order to kind of get that reward of new territory and new exploration, which sure, kind of yeah. hampered some people's early on um, um, enjoyment of the game. But yeah, sure. overall, I mean, Riven is just evidence of, you know, what we can do with a lot of time and a lot of money, to yeah. be honest. And uh, it still still shows great today. Well, there were subtleties in Riven, I think, that really impressed a lot of us by uh, looking back on it afterwards and thinking, wow, that was really, really very cleverly done. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you have to give credit to uh, Robin and, and Richard Vanderwin, too. I mean, they were... Yeah. Um, you know, from the early design sessions, which I wasn't as uh, much a part of during those days, but, um, but you know, all the way through, you know, every detail in production, Robin and Richard yeah. were very much um, into that game and overseeing every detail, and, and it, it's a credit to them as to how it turned it out. It was so thoroughly thought through. In yes, show. yes, I mean, uh, exactly. It didn't really leave anything hanging. Uh, right. Well, I mean, then you compare it to Mist. You know, Mist, you have Rand and Robin whipping this thing out and obviously mm-hmm. spending time on it, but they're they're having to earn money to buy groceries and kids' sure. clothes. And then you have Riven, where you can have a whole team of people who spend days and days going over designs. And, you know, it's yeah. just that's what time does. <laughs> yeah, it does make a difference. Yes, definitely. Well, Syed began work on Uru uh, following... Uh, the success of Riven and Presto Studios took over development of Mist 3 Exile. Let me mm-hmm. throw out a little personal speculation here. All right. Uh, I get the impression that Cyan, having proven their mastery of the genre with Riven, wish to leave uh, the traditional pre-rendered point-and-click adventure gaming behind and move on to uncharted territory, essentially. Mm-hmm. And my own thoughts here are that by that time, so many other companies had jumped on the bandwagon with their own Mist lookalikes that the Cyan was really kind of starting to blend into the crowd, and uh, that they were perhaps ready to leave that model behind and mm-hmm. innovate again. Right. Was that pretty much what was happening, or were there other motivations as well? Um, I think, you know, from, from the early days of Mist, even, Rand always had a vision of a world in which it was constantly changing, new things were being added. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was always kind of the goal in the back of his mind and after the end of Riven given again the time and the resources that the company had and perhaps more importantly where technology was at um, Rand saw an opportunity to kind of fulfill that vision that he'd had for a long time and to kind of go for it so I think Mm -hmm. that was kind of one of the major uh, driving points behind the development of Uru was just things seemed to be coming together where Rand saw an opportunity where hey maybe we can do this world where you know, you're walking down the path you've walked down 50 times before, and suddenly you heard about a rock slide or a rainstorm the night before, and it washed away, uh-huh. and there's a new cave you can go in, and there's a whole new world there as a result. And uh, mm-hmm. He saw that opportunity and went for it. Yeah. Well, that anticipation was very alive as Uru was, you know, was first was being uh, previewed to we fans, and as we were speculating for months on end, essentially, what's it going to be like? You know, right. We, uh, we knew something like that was coming along. Uh, well, Uru really was ambitious, and uh, of course, I reckon uh, I welcome any new adventure from Cyan. But the one aspect of Uru that most appealed to me from the beginning was the promised ability to share our adventure with other players. Uh, I was never into the multiplayer shooter game scene myself, but I'd, I'd seen some of those games and found the whole idea to 
to interact with other players elsewhere in the world really intriguing, and I couldn't wait to see that same technology applied to adventure gaming. Mm -hmm. uh, can you tell us about some of the things Cyan was uh, talking about regarding implementing, making use of multiplayer, and perhaps even reveal some of the ideas that they discussed for Uru, but that were never implemented? Um, I think we were talking about, um, as far as multiplayer, just a lot more neighborhood integration, neighborhood communities with, sure. um, you know, kind of representatives to some kind of government type structure with voting and just getting more into trying to create a real uh representation of well a real, a representation of a bunch of people living down in a cavern and how that would have to be managed and administrated and we were sure. had some ideas there as far as multiplayer and then mm -hmm. um you know we obviously had a lot of ideas as far as like I mentioned earlier just that that idea of new content appearing all the time and yeah. Unfortunately, I wish that's kind of one of the main areas I wish we would have had an opportunity to finish. We just we had some some neat ideas there. It's just like I said, walking down that path, walking through the city mm -hmm. you've been through there ages million times before, but there's something happened, you heard about it on the forums or you heard about it from a friend and you go there mm -hmm. and there's a new place to go and um that was kind of one of the the most appealing parts of Uru to me. And obviously you can go there with your friends to that new place is uh -huh. doubles the, the excitement. But yeah. Well, even as short as Prologue was, uh, I remember some of those plot twists, the little ones that came along. Right. I remember even to an extent how the fan fan reactions actually drove some of the story progress right during Prologue. Yep. And um, yep. I thought, boy, this is really going to be fabulous. I mean, yeah. even the little bit that we saw in Prologue, bugs and all, you know, the <laughs> lag and all, it was, right. so, it was so intriguing and so promising. Right. Uh, and... On that line, uh, the cancellation of Aru Alive hit the fan base pretty hard. Uh, but, of course, I'm sure that was nothing compared to the impact at Cyan. Ranta said in an interview uh, that the loss of Live truly was difficult, but uh, that Cyan has now moved past that. And uh, I'll admit that I'm hesitant to probe into what may be a sensitive area at Cyan, but uh, what can you tell us about those days leading up to the cancellation? And... Uh, did you follow the fan forums afterwards, and what were Cyan's thoughts on the fan feedback? Right. Yeah, obviously, you know, it's been said, can only say it so many ways, we were extremely disappointed and discouraged about the cancellation of Uru. Uh, we had spent a lot of time and a lot of years and invested a lot of creative energy into it, and we mm -hmm. were, at pr probably most discouraging, we were excited about it. We thought it was working. Um, like yeah. you just mentioned, you know, Prologue had some some tidbits of what we wanted to do, and even those little mm -hmm. pieces, those little tastes, were exciting. And they were exciting to you, like you mentioned, and they were very exciting to us because we saw where they were going to go. Yeah. And, and there was um, nothing else like that out there. No, time. there wasn't. And so and it still isn't. <laughs> still, yeah, to a degree, mm -hmm. isn't. So obviously, it was incredibly discouraging. Um, you know, we had had a little more time to think about it. Well, we'd gotten hints, I should say, and so it was kind of on, on our minds. And, yeah. you know, you know, obviously it was discouraging. As far as reading the forums, um, you know, on one hand I read them, and on the other hand I, I didn't want to read them just because it would get me more depressed and there wasn't really much that could be said during those days or done to make anyone happier so i was going to say some of the feedback coming back after the closure some was very supportive yeah uh, for sure others was just really not supportive really pretty vi <laughs> violent i'll say yeah 
But uh, what were they thinking? And, right. But uh, personally, uh, having been involved as a technical training developer for a number of years, building uh, interactive training materials, I knew what it was like to participate on a creative team on a project for you know for months and months. Right. And we had one project canceled out from under us after two years of development, and it was never used. And I mean. It was our life for two years, you know, sure. the creative solutions, the brainstorming, all the right. meetings, all the clever, clever things we did. Right. Never saw the light of day. Yeah. So I I was always very sympathetic in the forums. I could, from my angle, uh, in a way, could see where you'd been. And, right. Uh, right. Understand and understand how it must have felt. And, and it would have been a lot easier if there were a good reason to cancel it. And I think yeah. that's the most discouraging. If it didn't work or if, if something... Mm-hmm. You know, it was just a failure. No one was coming. That's understandable. But just to cancel it for the reasons that that it was canceled was uh, yeah. that was discouraging. But you know, so these you things happen. Before its time, then. Oh yeah, definitely. I don't think it was ever given a chance. Yeah. And Do you think it could have been fully debugged and and could have turned into what you wanted it to be? That without a doubt. Without a doubt. Given some of the circumstances that we were put into. Um, mm-hmm. And some of the solutions that we came up with and the debugging that we'd already done, um, uh-huh. you know, I have no doubt that our team would have been able to put together a great product. And, yeah. and it, was already, it was already on its way, you know, and it just never got a chance, and, and that's the discouraging thing. But, yeah. again. You think it was released prematurely or something? Or? I don't think it was. I think mm-hmm. it was canceled prematurely. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Oh, well. But these or, things happen, so. No use dwelling on it. They do. You're very true. I guess we move on. Well, yep. on a related note, and realizing that I maybe tread it on even thinner ice here, what does Cyan's view of user-modified UU shards and patches and user age creation, for example? Uh, Cyan seems to have been pretty tolerant so far when it comes to Uru hacking. Have the UU hackers just not crossed the line yet, <laughs> or... Or is Cyan actually supportive to an extent of fan hacking as long as there are no copyright or IP violations? Right. I mean, we obviously have to have to protect our copyrights and uh, and IPs. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think we're pretty good at communicating when um, someone does cross the line. And if we haven't communicated that yet, then I don't think when there's any problems. When guys in dark glasses show up at your door. <laughs> right. Well, and that's something that should be said. You know, we have a great group of fans that, we don't have to worry about that. Um, you know, yeah. they, they're not a group who's trying to break copyright and, and do all kinds of stuff behind our backs. In fact, they're the opposite of that. We always are, mm-hmm. hey, can I do this? Are you sure this is okay? And we appreciate that so much. And it, it just is a real blessing to have fans who we're not always panicked about them hacking into stuff that we don't want them to be hacked uh, for the most well, I think part. think the misgames so. draw up that kind of people, I think. Uh, and one thing I've noticed is there seems to be a hearty amount of respect among the fans for Cyan and for your products. Well, no one wants to, <laughs> no one wants to offend you. You know. Well, and that's you know, for whatever reason, no one wants to offend us. We're very thankful. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's a great uh, a great bonus to have with your fans. Yeah. Well, I need to ask this for the benefit of the Cavern Today uh, staffers and fans, all the podcast folks. Uh, I have to ask this one. How is our broadcast viewed at Cyan? Uh, Are they following it at all? Are they aware of it? And if so, are we in big trouble? (laughs) You're not in big trouble, I can tell you that. Uh, Not yet. No, not yet. If I'm to be completely honest, uh, you know, I had not personally heard of the podcast until I got the email uh, asking me to to do this interview. So um, 
Of course, now that I'm aware of it, you know, we'll spread it all over Cyan and make sure everybody knows. <laughs> really need to watch what we do. Well, uh, 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 in your no. favor, we only have four podcasts in the can today. And, okay. Uh, and we're hoping that this interview will go into the fifth. It's coming out in a few days, and so I'm going to be up late tonight editing to get this put together. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it's still fairly new, and we're learning as we go. And the first podcast was uh, kind of rough as a cob, I'll say that. I'll, a learning experience is right. a nice term for it. Right. Well, along those lines, I should say, though, that we, uh, far from being in trouble, we're just always impressed with what all the fans, including this podcast, I mean, it seems like I learn about something like this all the time, and it's just amazing um, how much the fans have continued on with with Uru, with the whole Miss story, and we're so appreciative of that. We really are. We say a lot, and Rand says it all the time, we have the greatest fans, but... You know, we really mean it. You guys are great, and uh, mm-hmm. this is just another example. You are not in trouble. We're we love it. It's great stuff. Oh, great, great. Well, thank you very much. We, uh, I know, in the forums, for example, some of the folks have written in saying uh, we'd like to get involved with you, you, but we understand. But it's basically the story is frozen, and there's no story development. What do you do there, basically? Right. That's what they ask us. Right. And and my reply uh, to the one posting on the forum was, well, when we were kids, my brother and I played with Tinker Toys a lot. Uh, and if you just look at Tinker Toys and view them for what they are, essentially a box of sticks and spools, it's not all that intriguing. But when our imaginations came into play, we could look into that can of stuff and see all kinds of possibilities, you know, the windmills and the trackers and all the other stuff we could build. Right. So uh, reply to the poster on the forum essentially was, well, UU is kind of like our box of Tinker Toys. You know, the contents may be kind of simple and they don't change a lot, but right. it's whatever our imaginations can make of it. And so, uh, yeah, no, I, and well, you, we may not have the constantly developing story, but we have things like the Denis Olympics, for example, right. and the, and pub nights down in the city and things like that. They've right. really been a lot of fun. No, and and you guys are making the most of it, and it's it's kind of there's two sides of that coin. On one hand, we love it, and you know, it's it's just fantastic that you guys are having pub nights and Dunny Olympics. On the other hand, I just I just say to myself, Ugh you know, why why weren't so we able more. it yeah. could have been so much more, so uh-huh. but again, yeah. that's life. As cool as pub nights are, you know, just think of what could have been. Exactly. Well speaking of what of what could be, we've heard uh that the book of Merrim is currently in work. Can you tell us anything about it? I remember uh reading that you wrote the draft for the book of Atris and for some of the other uh Miss Literature as well. Are you contributing to Merrim also? And is David Wingrove involved as he was with the earlier books? Yeah, um, Wingrove did do a draft of the Book of Merrim actually quite a few years ago. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not sure where that stands as far as, uh, you know, Rand wrote that initial chapter for the Uru sure. European Deluxe version and the soundtrack. And yeah. um, I've seen the story. It's a great story. It'd be one that would be exciting to work on. And, um, just honestly, at this point, the book, I don't have any information to say just because there isn't any to tell. You know, we're just, yeah, it, it hasn't uh, gotten going yet full steam, so there's not much yeah. to say. Well, we're looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, it'll, it should be a good one. really should. Yeah. Well, let's shift gears for a second and uh, talk about Mist 5. It's like the most recent experience any of us have had with uh, Mist products. Mm-hmm. Uh, fan reactions on End of Agents, uh, really seemed to be all over the map. Personally, I liked it a lot. I found it to be uh, really beautiful, very mist-like, but with 
intriguing innovations that made it a unique and rewarding experience. Mm -hmm. Slate, for example, comes to mind. Right. But having taken part in some uh, spirited discussions on the Myst 5 forums, <laughs> I'd like to get your impressions regarding the game. Uh, for starters, what would you say to those who, uh, who, for example, found End of Ages to be too short and simplistic compared with previous titles? Right. Um, kind of what I alluded to earlier, when we sat down to design Myst 5, we wanted to make a game that had surprisingly maybe to some more similarities to Mist than it did Riven and that mm -hmm. meant that it was going to be a little more simple it was going to be a little more easy and it was going to uh -huh. be uh, you know a little more appealing to the masses and that when the masses you know I mean we talked a lot about our mother sitting down and playing it and sure. we wanted to make a game where she was going to be able to explore a lot of territory in the beginning and not necessarily have to solve any complex puzzles and that when mm -hmm. those puzzles did come, yes, even you know our mother could have a chance at them versus uh, other games in which you know our mother would run away screaming, looking uh -huh. for the uh -huh. hint book somewhere, and even then that may not give her everything she needed. So, you know, for those who thought it was you know too easy, uh, you know, I apologize, but <laughs> the sad thing is you can't make a game that appeals to everyone unless you have a million different versions or at least a few, and we just didn't have the time for that. So we wanted to make yeah. a game that was on the easy side and on the simple side um, for for good reasons, I think. And, you know, hopefully the people who did want something a little a little tougher and advanced still were able to enjoy it at least partly. So Sure, yeah. Opinion time again here, more speculation on my part. My impression was that End of Ages was never intended to be another epic in the mold of Riven. Uh, in fact, I saw it not only as a conclusion to the Atris saga, but also pretty much as a closing of the book on Cyan's develop of, development of traditional adventure games in general, uh, since they had been there and done that in a sense and mastered it. So with Uru essentially being out of the picture and not a part of your future as once envisioned, am I correcting thinking that End of Ages is just the End of Ages as we know them, so to speak, and is actually a harbinger of something entirely different to come. Um, I, you know, that that could be true. I guess in some sense, everything we produce will be an age, right? Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, it, it is also just truly the end of the, at least in in our eyes or my eyes, the end of the mist story, the mist saga. Sure. Um, it's it's wraps it up. Uh, what begun with mist and went all the way through all five games and. And it's a good closure to that, and uh, mm -hmm. um, you know, it truly is the end of those ages, at least we could say. <laughs> yeah, and I'm assuming you can't drop any hints of what may be coming. No, inquiring I, minds want to know. I'm sure they do. I I can't though. We're uh, we're in that stage where I cannot say anything. So understood. I'll just remain quiet. And of course, it would spoil the surprise anyway. So that's right. That's right. I don't want to spoil anything. That's right. Um. Well, before we close, and this will be the last question, uh, let me backtrack a bit and ask about Mist 4, Revelation. This was another title that polarized the community to an extent. Some of us thought it was fabulous, others didn't, and some, like me, started out with great gusto, only to eventually flame out and quit. <laughs> right. I never finished it, sorry to admit. Yeah. Uh, but the overall impression many of us were left with was that while... Uh, the environments were drop-dead gorgeous. Uh, the puzzle designs were just wickedly difficult and very discouraging. And many of us who started out with the best intentions finally ended up hitting the hands and then hitting the wall. Uh, 
How deeply was Cyan involved with Ubisoft in the design of Revelation? And uh, now that it's been out a while, uh, what are your current feelings about it? And if Cyan had built Mist 4, what would be different about it? Well, while we're admitting things, I never finished it either, so I'll get okay. that out there. <laughs> it's not just me then. No, it's not just you. Um, as far as how how much we were into design, that was mostly um, Rich Watson, who spent um, a lot of time kind of keeping consistency and checking on uh, story-type type aspects to it. Other than that, we didn't have much involvement. And um, I think, you know, for the most part, we agree with you. It was, it was beautiful, and they did a great job. Um, it was just, it was tough. It was incredibly tough, and that may have influenced our decision to kind of go easier on Miss Five as well. Yeah. Um, and, and not to knock them, you know, like I said, you can't please everyone, and, and I think they definitely made the hardcore adventure gamers happy with, with the type of puzzles they had um, um, with their difficulty level, and, we you know, we just chose to go another route. But I think they did a, a great job, and I think uh, part of the answer as to, you know, how would we have done it if we did it is just Missed Five. You know, we sure, we yeah. had the option not too long after they finished to do a missed game, and you know we we put out missed five, so that's kind of our take on it. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Uh, I see that I skipped over a question. I'm going to backtrack a little bit for a short one here. All right. Many of we fans have been deeply impressed with uh, the depth of the whole Dunny mythology. While Dunny was barely mentioned in the original Mist, we now have three. Three really good novels, as well as a comprehensive knowledge base of Dunny linguistics, the writing, the histories, personalities, etc. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the growth of the Dunny legends during the last few years? And in particular, can you explain the role of Richard Watson, Rala, in the creation of those Dunny worlds? I think he's usually credited as being the Dunny master, as it were. Yeah, you know, we just keep uncovering that Dunny historical information all the time. It's mm-hmm. crazy, it just shows up. Artifacts turning up. That's right. Um, no, Rawa is definitely the Dunny linguistic master. We were just in a meeting the other day, and uh, someone brought up a Dunny word, of which I had no idea what it meant, and neither did Rand. Uh-huh. And uh, that's why Rawa was there. <laughs> I think uh-huh. he's the only person at Cyan who fully knows the Dunny language, or even partially to some extent. Um, oh my goodness. And then, as far as uh, yeah, just the history and culture, it's definitely. Um, very deep, and uh, there's. Well, I was just looking through some of it again the other day, and uh-huh. the reams of information we have is is mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's great, though, is for even that information that isn't released, um, I just think it has a it has a real good impact on the story that is released. And you know, we like to think it makes everything tighter and stronger that is released. And Sure. Uh, yeah. You know, we know quite a bit about the Dunny. I can put it that mm-hmm. way about their history and their culture and everything else. And hopefully, someday it'll all come out in some form or another. But um, it, it makes it fun. It makes it oh, definitely yeah. feel very alive and real. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that I'm not the only one who's seen a kind of a parallel in the growth of the the uh, Dunny stories and the novels, etc., uh, to the Tolkien stories and how deep they are. Right. The, yeah. uh, the civilizations of the languages, you know, right. Uh, right. The, uh, if you've gone beyond uh, the trilogy itself and have read the Silmarillion and gotten the whole backstory and the setting of the trilogy in the uh, scope of world history as Tolkien saw it, there's so much more to it. And, sure. And we could see that in the Dunny stories as well. And that yeah. was something really, 
really satisfying as we dug deeper through the games. Yeah, it, it is. It's satisfying. It's very satisfying to us as well, just to to know all of that information. It gives you much more confidence as you're uh, designing anything, just because we feel like uh-huh. we're so we're so into it and and understanding of it. So. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for uh, speaking with us. Thank you sincerely for speaking with us. Uh, we're deeply indebted and wish you the best in all your endeavors. Uh, speaking of which, we know that you have some other projects outside Cyan. Uh, can you close us out by describing some of them? Well, I, you know, I love writing. As you mentioned, I've done some work on the Mist books, and um, I've written my own book. I think most fans know about it in Kari. In Kari, yeah. Yep, and uh, self-published that, and it's available on Amazon. And then I just recently finished another book called Just Chance, and I'm kind of uh-huh. shopping it around to agents, and, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with it. But I think that's definitely what my my hobby is, is writing. I enjoy it, and um, mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. Well, the originator of our podcast concept, one of the originators of our podcast, uh, is a storyteller. Uh, she loves to write and tell stories, and I think that's what what really uh, appealed to her the most about the Mist Saga and Uru. Hmm. So, uh, cool. So that aspect of your interest is reaching us, that's for sure. Well, that's great, yeah. Well, thank you again, and so long for now. And uh, for the cavern today, this is Moak. I'll be home for Christmas. Tapestry Shard will be hosting its second annual Until Christmas Party Sunday, December 18th at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Event Shard. Eventshard.utapestry.com All shards are invited to the festivities. It would be wonderful to see many of our friends who haven't been around for a while join in, and of course many of those who have yet to come to the cavern. So come home to Dunny for the holidays, one and all. Come and enjoy along with us our Santa Comes to Dunny Parade, live entertainment, special marker hunt, and caroling as well as our usual seasonal foods, refreshments, and music. You are listening to The Cavern Today from Cavern Communications Network, a UU fan presentation. Now, back to our program. This is the end of part one of this podcast. Please go to part two now. And now, CCN is pleased to present the Journey of the Cold recap. From episode one to a new episode, episode four. Enjoy. The Cavern Communications Network is pleased to present... An Uru-inspired serial drama, Journey of the Called, created by Tyon, narrated by Zam, and featuring the voices of Moog as Jeff and the stranger Kiral, Tyon as himself, and Moiety Jean as Sarah. Set in the ancient subterranean city of Denis, where a civilization lived and died where a new gathering of explorers and restorers is growing who will undertake the journey of the called.
Episode 1, Now All to Droplets. It was the new morning before the tremors began. The Tokotarale bustled with restoration activities. <sighs> Since when is it an oven in Denis? I don't know. I've never felt it this hot in the city before. It's awful. Oh, Tyon, hi. Let me see your relative linking books. Why? There's no time. Please, let me see. All right. Sarah and Jeff quickly handed their linking books to Tyon. He inspected them for a moment, his face grim. It's happening to these as well. What's happening? Sarah looked down and saw that Tyon's relto book was missing from its place at his hip. Ty, where's your relto book? Gone, and soon yours will be too. What do you mean? Tyon opened both relto books so they could see. Well, they're falling apart. More like dissolving like sand. How is this possible? I don't. It was then that the earthquake began, a deep rumble in the earth that reverberated through the cavern. Yet! Ty, tell us what's going on. We have to get everyone out of the city now. This isn't a normal quake. Spread out, tell people they've got to link out. We'll meet back here. They wasted no time, but the tremors were worsening. Within 20 minutes standing was difficult. Buildings were beginning to calm down. Panic gripped the city, and it inhabited and scrambled for nearby linking pedestals. Ty and Sarah and Jeff found each other near the Alley Plaza. It's getting even worse. I don't understand what's happening to our Relto book. Misha must have something to do with it. I should... Ty! Sarah, look! Before their eyes, the form of Isha herself stepped from empty air. As they stared, Isha lifted her hands upward, and people all around disappeared from sight, linked away. Suddenly, Isha seemed stricken with pain. Grimacing, she closed her chest and vanished. Sarah, look out! Are you alright? I think so. We need to get away from here. No sooner had he spoken than Sarah too vanished, without even reaching for her linking book. Sarah's form resolved in a dimly lit chamber, where the ground was quiet, Leaning over her was Tyon. Sarah. Sarah, wake up. Oh, my head. Take it easy, you've got a nasty bump. Nasty feels like an understatement. Well, welcome to the ruins of the Barrow Caves. Sarah looked around and saw that the four familiar Barrow pillars were broken and cracked, the walls riven and crumbling. The fissure in the center of the room was dark, not a single star shone from the blackness. What happened to this place? Was there a quake here too? I don't know. It's been some time since I've been in Dinny or the Barrow Caves. Whoa, your shirt's different. It's got a shell symbol on it. Oh yeah. Forgot to mention that. When did you change it? It's a long story and we don't have time. We need to help these people. Laying about the floor, scattered with dust that had linked with them, were the people from the Tokotarale. Many were unconscious. Others sat quietly nursing bruises. 
Stand to be alive. How many do you think made it out? I don't know, but I hope they were linked somewhere safe. Oh. Oh, Jeff, good, you're awake. Let me have a look at you. When did you change your shirt, Ty? Everyone going to ask me that? What'd I say? Never mind, Jeff. Oh, now isn't this beautiful? Out from the shadows of a cave stepped a tall man, black-haired, dark-eyed. He wore ancient knee clothing and a smile that chilled the spine. Who are you? So you are all the called. Interesting. We asked you who you are. That is of no importance. You're the... The stranger regarded Tyon with a cold gaze. That... That symbol you wear, it is of... It does not matter anymore. Be gone! Where did you send him? <laughs> to a place that you cannot reach. A place that is both in the here and now. Bring him back, now! Let me think on that. Sure you just keep getting worse. What is all this? First the weird heat. And then the Lincoln books? I hope Ty is okay. Episode 2. Something Revealed. more and we would have been squished. We're already at that point. <laughs> True. Who you are? How dare you? Be silent. Huh? Let me tell you, Tyon. You follow a foolish path. You're the fool. You have no idea what you're doing. Oh, but I do. Suddenly, a surprised-looking barrow appeared in front of Tyon. What are you doing to them? This. been at least five hours now. I bet I'm not the only one who needs something to eat soon. It's getting hot in here, too. Having fun? You again? <laughs> I can tell you missed me. What do you want with us, anyway? Who are you? You're getting a little testy, aren't you? Mm. Well, I came to give you this. The stranger threw a linking book at their feet. See you again. What book is it? It's Ralto. You should see the expressions on your friends' faces. It's so very amusing. In fact, we can't look in on them now. The stranger moved his hand through the air, and before them, appeared a hovering image of the barrow cave and its prisoners. Sarah! 
Jeff! Don't bother, they can't hear you. But we can listen to them. I don't know if we should use this. What choice do we have, Sarah? Otherwise, we're stuck here. That person is not to be trusted, and besides, we know better than to just link to some age that looks like Relto. For all we know, it could be a prison book. <laughs> One prison to another, then. I'm willing to take the chance. Jeff. Nobody's coming to get us. We can sit here forever, or we can take the chance that this is a stable Relto book. Whatever this guy has, he has power. And if he wanted to kill us, I doubt we'd be alive right now. Sarah? There are Yusha pages here that we don't have. Really? Let me see. Where would he... Ty. What? This is Ty's Relto book. Well, how can that be? Episode 3. A Choice. I'm not sure how it's possible, but I think this book is Tyon's. See the symbol on the back? Ty's had that. So, uh, did this guy steal it then? Maybe. But look at these pages. Jeff lived through Tyon's Relto book and saw that there were many new Yisha pages. One bore a symbol that resembled water. Another looked like misty fog. If it's Ty's, then it should be safe, right? I still don't trust it. Why not? Yes, Sarah, why not? I'm really starting to hate that. Why do you keep popping in on us for? I only wish to see what you will do. You seem to know our names. At least tell us yours. Very well, then. My name is Kiral. Shura. Well, finally, a straight answer. Kiral, huh? How long are you going to keep me trapped like this? Oh, forever, my friend. I'm not your friend. No, I'm crushed. Wish. <laughs> I do like that about you. You have such spunk. Yeah, well, if you like me that much, then let me go. I don't like you that much. That's what I thought. My dear Tyon, there was once a time when I wouldn't have heard a fly. And then Yisha came to me and told me of a journey. Okay, and what happened? I took that journey, and I took all that I could hold. But then she told me to give back what I took, and I couldn't. I'd love the power to link at will, to travel to the many ages, to control all, to... You're a fool. Ha! And why is that, Ty? Hmm? Yisha said it herself. What is not given back will be taken. Don't you quote Yisha to me. Her rambles are nothing but old and stupid sentiment. It's the truth. Enough! Oh, I can't stand her self-righteous speeches. The light, the ridiculous preaching. Denis was once a powerful race ruled by kings and... And what was their downfall, huh? Greed, pride, selfishness, clinging to what they could have given back. They... You just don't listen, do you, Tyon? I think I'm through with you. Here, join the one you follow. Kirol waved his hand at a nearby wall, and a part of it vanished, revealing a small chamber. There, bound in chains was Yisha, unconscious. On the ground beside her were two barrows, who were likewise motionless. 
Farewell, Tyon. This is where your journey ends. With another dismissive gesture from Kirol, Tyon felt himself linked across the room. And then he saw Kirol smile his dark smile as all around him faded into darkness. Who knows what's been done to it? We shouldn't use it. It's either that or the black hole in the floor. This is getting us nowhere. If we use it, then yes, we could end up in a prison book or a dark void. But Sarah, our alternative is to sit in this cave until we starve to death or run out of air. Maybe using the book will give us some idea what's happened to Ty and everybody else. I know. You're right. Okay, let's just you and I try linking. All right, then. I'll, I'll find someone to handle things here. Jeff walked away into the crowd of refugees, leaving Sarah a moment to wrestle with doubt. What they were about to do might be a mistake, but the choices, for the moment, were being forced on them. There really was no alternative. They would have to play Kirol's game. Ready? Ready as I'll ever be. Okay then, here we go. Jeff touched the linking panel and shimmered into nothingness. Sarah took one last hesitant look around her and placed her hand on the book. Episode 4 Return to the High Place Thank the Maker, it's really Relto. Yeah, it's good to be back here. <sighs> Come on, let's check the hut. Right behind you. Yes! What? Nexus linking book, and it's unlocked. Oh, so we can get back to the city. Hopefully, yes. Would you like to go first? Why, thank you. Don't mind if I do. And where was that enthusiasm when we were about to link here? Uh, I'll see you in a sec. <laughs> Evading the subject. Okay, now a city link. Uh, hello? Key machine? Why won't it work? What the... Sarah. Huh. It isn't working. Sarah reappeared on the very same wooden platform she had linked to only a few minutes ago. What in the world? Sarah, what are we doing back here? I just tried to use my key and then suddenly it was... <laughs> linked away. Me too. Did keys stop working too? It looks that way. I guess we can't take anything for granted right now. Ah! Someone is playing with us! Okay, I need to not panic. Let's look for another book. Well, check out his other shelf. Looks like Ty kept a lot of journals. Good. He seemed to know more than he let on. Maybe if we read them it could shed some light on all the weird things that have been happening. But what if they're private? Ty will understand. They could even help us figure out where he is. 
Yeah, you're right. Well, where should we start? Uh, here. You take a stack and I'll take a stack. We'll get through them faster that way. They divided the books and began a hurried search for clues. Tyon's early entries seemed normal, detailing his daily activities in Indony, holidays, and his thoughts on sub-subjects at the restoration console. Then, Jeff found an entry that gave him pause. He squinted at the date on the page. Well, that's odd. What? He dated this journal entry as, as four days from today. He must have lost track of time pretty bad. It's been some time since I've been in Denis or the Barbara Caves. Some time since I've been in Denis. What was that? Huh? You okay? Oh, yeah. I'm fine. Let's keep looking. Our story is to be continued. Stay tuned to The Cavern Today's upcoming podcasts for the next episode. Journey of the Called is written by Tyon, with editing and sound by Moidi Jean, and support from Ruby Odegui and the CCN team. We are honored to feature music and effects in these first episodes by Tim Larkin and Cyan from the Uru Games. Pentagon from the soundtrack to Eco, and Hard Moon from their album Space Music for the Millions. For more information, visit our website, www.thecaverntoday.com. This is Brian Fioka for the Cavern Communications Network. Please join us again. You are listening to the Cavern Today from Cavern Communications Network, a UU fan presentation. Now, back to our program. This is Ruby Odegui. This is podcast number five, and I, for one, am amazed that time has gone by so fast since our first attempt. We have come a long way, and the future is bright. Creativity runs rampant at the Cavern today. We are now doing full-length podcasts once monthly, and special presentations like the Teledon Connection documentary, and next month, the Christmas Cavern Carol where you're putting out a shortwave every couple of days to keep the UU community up to date with what is happening in the cavern. Vidcasts are new and are popular downloads, and music, well, it will still come in future episodes, but with us since the beginning, Mateus. He now has his own website, a CD, and we have a link from our website to make it easier for you to get there and find out more about how to get his CDs. Today, along with his new song here, Baby, I Have Lied, a music video filmed by Earl is available on the show
Welcome back to the Cavern Today, or the Shortwave, anytime. This is Mowag reporting from Mist Island. Many of us who took part in the final journey, Mist 5, End of Ages, were treated to a visit to this island, an island that has a very special place in the hearts of so many. For it was here that we first encountered the ages of Atris, where we were first introduced to Atris through his notes and recordings, and where we first learned of his wayward sons and the devastation they had wrought. It was our base of operations as we scoured the ages looking for the red and blue prison book pages that would allow us to learn more of the brothers before we made our final decision. With all of this in mind, it was very sad to see that the island has evidently been abandoned for some time. I'm looking around me here. I see the buildings, the machines, the ship, the rocket. They're all slowly falling into ruin as the hillsides become overgrown with wild grass and the once beautiful trees die away. After lengthy preparation, a small group of volunteers from the Antil Uru community has begun the tedious process of restoration on this island. Various specialists have stepped forward to offer their expertise in the variety of areas needed for the restoration. Our electrical engineers will first restore power to the island by cleaning up the underground generators, several of which have been heavily damaged by flooding and neglect. Once electricity is restored, our carpenters will be able to bring along their tools and equipment and begin repairs to the buildings. Masonry will be restored to its original appearance. Woodwork will be stripped and refinished. Structural members reinforced or replaced. And the planetarium will be returned to operational status. The crew is particularly anxious to reopen access to the places of protection, where the linking books to the stone ship, selenitic, channel wood, mechanical, and rhyme ages are concealed. There has been a great deal of concern about these ages and their current state. We can't know until we can link to them again. So one of our first priorities, once the power is on again, is to address the locking devices, meaning that the clock tower mechanism will need to be completely cleaned and lubricated, the gear bridge repaired, the rocket will need to be completely renovated to correct damage due to water ingress, all the seals and piping for the tree elevator will need to be repaired, and perhaps most challenging, the ship will need to be raised once again. Most of the marker switches seem to be functional, but we have yet to access Atrus 4 chamber by the dock. We're hoping that the door will operate once power is restored. We strongly suspect that Atrus left a great many other messages on the imager, and once we were able to enter the room, we plan to spend a lot of time with this device researching its contents. 
We also hope to return the island to its original beauty. So our landscapers will be trimming the grass, pulling weeds, planting shrubs, pruning damaged trees, and planting blue flowers around Tiana's gravesite. So why are we doing this? We all agreed that the island really needs to be restored and maintained as a memorial to Atris and his family. Even though he and Yisha have finally been able to settle in Relishan, a large part of his early life was spent on this island, and some of his most significant work was done in the library. Once our work is complete, we plan to reopen the island to visitors. You'll be able to stroll the grounds again at leisure, meet fellow travelers, and visit the grave of Tiana and the Pepsi Memorial Flower Garden. Eventual plans are to build a dockside cafe where visitors can relax while enjoying light refreshments. Please stay tuned to the Cavern Today for updates on the Mist Island restoration efforts. This is Mowag signing off. Ah, humbug here. CCN presents a Cavern Christmas Carol slated for distribution on December 22nd. All your favorite Dickens characters show up with a twist that is typically until Uru. Mr. Pollock, Tiny Tyon, Mr. Crocs, Madge Cratchit, along with the ghost of Christmas past, present, and future. Be ready for this special podcast by subscribing now with iTunes or iPod. The entire CCN team will be participating in the finale. Video simulcast on the shortwave. Filmed by Verl and done in five parts for your download convenience. After the stream through TeamSpeak at 6 p.m. EDT on the 22nd, a cast party and everyone is invited. Guild of Greeters Shard and TeamSpeak. Just for fun, there will be a pompous Heeksters Guild gift exchange. For more details about how this gift exchange will work, please watch for details coming soon on the website at www.thecaverntoday.com. Again, this is Moag. I'm sure most of you remember the excitement when Until Uru was first announced. At the same time, it didn't take very long for a new question to begin bouncing around the boards. When can we build our own ages? Well, that was actually a pretty thorny question. As much as we wanted to stroll through our own handiwork, the technicalities involved meant it wouldn't be happening anytime soon. But while most of us were content to spend time in the existing ages, the folks in the Cobbs team sat down and got busy. And now, thanks to Cobbs, the dream of user-created ages has become a reality, to an extent anyway, and I'd like to tell you a little bit about their work in this report. Before I go any further, I'd like to acknowledge the assistance of Dustin from Cobbs and Delanor. Their contributions were invaluable. I'm no programmer, 
just a world-famous voice talent, <laughs> so without their help, this report really wouldn't have happened. Anyway, on to the good stuff. So far, work on user ages has fallen into two basic areas. The first concerns Uru fans who simply want to visit user-created ages, and the other revolves around the actual creation of those ages. At the heart of the user age movement is a tool called PRP Blender Plugin. This utility was created by Almalis at Cobbs, and its chief purpose is to take an age designed in the Blender application and save it in an Uru-compatible format. Blender is a free 3D modeling program that permits the building of new ages, much as Cyan did using 3D Studio Max. So far, so good. But the downside is that Blender is a pretty complex application with a steep learning curve, meaning if you plan to build anything in Blender, count on spending some quality time with the tutorial first. Fortunately, if you just want to explore user-built ages, you won't need Blender or the PRP Blender plugin. The key to accessing user ages in Uru is the Uru Age Manager program written by Dustin. This tool allows the user to view all user ages that are currently available. These ages can then be downloaded, and they will then be accessible through a new book in Yorelto. Dustin and Delanor both stressed that this capability is limited to the single-player offline version of Uru, although work is currently underway to make the new ages available in Until Uru using the Alcug's Path of the Shell servers. Another project in the mill is a repository for sharing user-generated models, textures, ages, and so forth. Building new ages carries with it the risk of illegal use of copyrighted materials from Cyan, so in order to stay on Cyan's good list, developers have so far been building new props such as trees, book pedestals, and so forth. Such elements will be stored in the repository where they can be accessed by other age builders. And this holding tank, known as the unofficial Uru database, is being designed by Robert Costin. Dustin reported that PRP Blender plugin is working, but it doesn't yet have the capability to incorporate textures. But as this segment was going to press, Delano reported that Almless has now implemented basic texture support. According to Dustin, there is at the moment one small, ugly age that can be downloaded and explored. It's only a simple prototype, built to show what can be done in eight minutes, in Dustin's words. But the groundwork has now been laid for the construction and submission of user ages. These new ages can be set up with walking surfaces and spawn points as desired. For information and downloads, go to alcugs.almless.dyns.net slash wiki. The COBS forum is located at www.cobs.ca slash bbs. And the Blender website is located at http colon slash slash blender3d.org. The Uru community owes a debt of gratitude to these innovators and for their willingness to devote their time and talents to Uru fans. And here's hoping that we'll soon be able to explore together in a new realm of new ages. This is Mowag signing off. Shara Bishem, everyone, and welcome to Podcast 5, the first in a series of podcasts to cover the Mist novel series. The Mist novels tell the story of Atris, father of Cirrus, Akinar, and Yisha, the stories of Tiana, mother of Gin, grandmother of Atris, and great-grandmother of Yisha, and of Dini. Today's podcast, you will hear a bit about the book of Atris, and then learn some things on some of the characters. 
I can only tell you tidbits because I can't tell you the whole story, so here we go. I'm going to read to you a piece from the beginning prologue of the book. Gen's boot prints lay heavy around the tiny pool. The lush, well-tended green churned to mud. At one end of the garden, beneath a narrow outcrop, he had dug a shallow grave. Now, as the dawn's light slowly crept over the sands to touch the cleft wall twenty feet above, he covered over the young girl's body, his pale cream desert clothes smeared with her blood and with the dark earth of the cleft. From the steps above, Anna watched, exhausted after the long night. She had done what she could, but the girl had clearly been ill for some months, and the exhaustion of childbirth had eaten up what little strength remained to her. She had died with a sigh of relief. Even now, in the silence of the dawn, she could hear Gen's howls of anguish. His hurt and angry ranting could hear the worlds of blame, which at the time had washed over her. It was her fault. Everything was her fault. Now, if that piqued your attention, then I've done my job. As you heard me read, you heard the word cleft. Now, this place is very important, and in Uru, it is where our journey begins, and in the Book of Atris, it is where Tiana, a.k.a. Anna, and Atris lived for several years. Atris lives there in the cleft for a matter of years until Gin returns and takes Atris with him down into the Dini Caverns. Now, if you ever play Uru and either buy the Complete Chronicles or buy the X-Packs, you can visit some of the places that are mentioned in these books. In this book, Atris and Gin visit what is simply what we would call a rest stop. I will read this part to you. Gen, meanwhile, had walked across to face the door, which was deeply recessed into the stone. Reaching into the neck of his tunic, he drew out a magnificent golden chain, which until that moment had been hidden from sight. On the end of it was a bevel-edged key, a thick black thing streaked with red. Placing this to one of the matching shapes recessed into the door, Gen pushed until it clicked. There was a moment's silence, then a strange clunk-clunk-clunk, and the sound of a metal grating sliding back. He removed the key and stepped back. As he did, the door slid into the stone, revealing a dimly lit interior. Gen stepped inside. Atris, following, stopped just inside the room, surprised at how big it was. There were low-utility bunks to either side of the dormitory-sized room, and a door at the end led through to what Atris assumed was either a kitchen or a washroom of some kind. As Gen and Atris continue their journey, they finally reach Dini, and at a point pass under what is called the Great Arch. Now, the Arch is an important place in Dini. It has a history and is also mentioned in Dini poems. Here is a part in the book where Atris and Gen pass under it. As they slowly sailed beneath it, Atris could see how the stone was blotched and pitted, edged, not as the rocks of the desert were edged by sand and wind, but like a skin that has grown tight and dry. 
thousands of years this arch has stood, he told himself, remembering even as he did the story of Karath, returning to Dinah on the back on the great lizard. Now, of course, he was forced to change the picture in his head to imagine Karath returning not across a desert, but across the vast open sea, the lizard perhaps resting peacefully beneath him on the boat. Eventually, Atris will learn the art from Gen. The art is the art of writing linking books to ages. Worlds within books. If you've never played Myst or Uru or read these books, that's how people get around, and that's how we get around in every Myst game. In fact, he learns to write better than Gen, and Gen at this gets jealous. So I'm going to stop right here, because I want you to read the books. Now, I've only told you tidbits, remember that. There is a lot that happens in this book. A lot more happens while Atris is living with Anna. A lot more happens when they're traveling down the cleft. I mean, there's a lot more description and things that occur. And in Dinny, well, I won't say any more. So, I hope you enjoyed this brief but little tidbit review of Mist, the Book of Atris. Pinnacles rise up to meet you. May the glowbugs be always at your back. May the sunshine reflect on every Yisha page you do not see. And may the rain fall on your alto, only when you desire rain. And until we meet again, may you be blessed with the nigh good fortune wherever you settle. Shura Bishir. You've been listening to The Cavern Today, brought to you by the Cavern Communications Network, an Until Uru fan presentation. For more information about our program, please visit our website at www.thecaverntoday.com. Production team is our hosts, myself, Tyon, Washington, USA, Verloon, the Netherlands, Zam, France. Our news and weather group, Lisa, Texas, USA, Moak, Missouri, USA, 
Gadron, Kansas, USA, Jade, Massachusetts, USA, Drakemith, Illinois, USA, Old Man, Canada. Our consultants, Delanor, the Netherlands, Irene Quinch, Germany. Our columnists, editors, and directors, Deg, Pennsylvania, USA, Supergram, New York, USA, SJ, Illinois, USA, JWPJ, Australia, Gavin, United Kingdom, Ken Telenome, USA, Darkook, United Kingdom, Donahue, USA, Pally64, Switzerland. Our photographer, Stella Flora, United Kingdom. Our cast and website designer, Miles, South Africa. Our Journey of the Called cast, Tyon, Moati Jean, Alaska, USA, Moag, and Zan. Our producers are Steve Crocs, United Kingdom, and Ruby Odigi, Florida, USA. Our resident musician is LCC from the Huru Project Shard, Ohio, USA. 